0: Welcome to the Legend Rewind Podcast. I'm Rusty Ellis, and today we have another special episode featuring DeCab County legendary basketball player Marianne Puckett. Marianne sat down with both myself and UCR's Kaylee Means to discuss how she got into basketball, her career at DeCab, and a little bit of what she's doing today. Without further ado, let's get started. So Marianne, let's, let's start at the very beginning, What I know this is probably, yeah, I can only imagine the, the reaction, I'm going to get to this question, what's your first memory of basketball,
1: if you went all the way back? Um, first memory is watching my sister play, she's four years older than I am, okay. and uh, my dad sort of took her under his wing, he was a Tennessee Tech basketball player. In the 50s and they had a really successful team back then so he wanted both of us to play and so he started coaching her up and she started playing basketball in the seventh grade because back then people didn't start when they were in first and second grade and uh she was playing on dekal middle and so then when i got to be a sixth grader he decided to coach a little um, travel ball team for me on the weekends and we'd go over and play in sparta so that team is my first experience of playing myself and uh, we would just play on Sunday afternoons, and we were sponsored by the local popcorn factory. I love that. Our that's team awesome. name was the Copaco Poppers.
0: <laughs> I will say that's one thing I loved in doing these is hearing people talk about their first teams when it's sponsored. But I, I wish that people still did that I
1: because
0: I, I thought that was so unique.
1: Yeah, it was. We we thought it was kind of funny, a little embarrassing that our uniform said poppers. But uh, we won a lot of games. We went over and played in a Sparta league because at that time DeKalb had no junior pro. And so uh, we, we won a lot of games over there, and I think we kind of upset the league. But the rest of the next year we were all able to play DeKalb middle ball, so we didn't have any more travel ball than my dad coached. But that was my first member. It's It's interesting because I think a lot of
0: people, especially, you know, People that you know normally, when people start playing ball, you mentioned it. Now it seems like kids are starting in first and second grade. It's interesting that your first memory was playing organized ball. Was it a difficult? Was it difficult to kind of transition into organized ball? You know, at the very start
1: or not? I don't think so. I mean, I was. We had a court, a concrete court in our backyard, mm-hmm. and so my dad had taught me to shoot. Like I don't even remember being taught basketball. It was just so hard. We just did it for it's fun. So natural. It was just fun. Yeah, we'd go out and shoot around. And then I can remember in the summers, my parents, uh, that we have a a big uh, bluegrass festival here in the summer, the Smithville Fiddler's Tambourine. And I loved it, and I wanted to have money to buy things at the booths and what have you. And so they would tell me if however many free throws I could make, they'd pay me for if I can get certain percentages. So that became a job in the summer to get all my free throw percentages up. And that ended up paying off later on. (laughs) Nothing like having some incentive to get better. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) but we uh we just we were just around it a lot and dad taught us a lot with that and he taught me how to post up how to call for the lob because I got my height really early so by the time I was in seventh grade I was six one wow and so if I could seal somebody and call for the lob uh, there weren't a lot of people able to stop (laughs) me at that point you know that changed as I got a little (laughs) bit older but it was um you know just some basics I don't remember a lot of training. I started playing travel, well, I started playing AAU basketball. Back then we didn't call it travel ball. We called it AAU. And I started playing that the summer after my seventh grade year.
0: Okay.
1: And I was, um, I was asked to join a team from Livingston with coach Bobby Gore, who at the time was coaching Livingston Middle.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, it was, uh, that was my first real challenge in (laughs) basketball. Because we, we did a lot of conditioning. (laughs) And he would say, he would say, girls, we may not be the best team that we play, but we will be the best condition. And then we'd go run for a while. So that was my first introduction into the dark side of basketball. (laughs) The dark side of running.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So,
1: you know, you mentioned, obviously,
0: it sounds like basketball was important to your family. It was. Can you put into perspective, like, how important it was and how
1: much... Did y'all use it? Was it a bonding thing for y'all? Did y'all bond over the game of basketball at all? I think so. Uh, My dad was a resource manager with the Corps of Engineers, so he had a pretty busy day job, but... um, he always took us to games to watch the high school teams play and it just was so familiar in our family that it was never a question of are you gonna play In tryouts it's like oh you got to go to tryouts but we never really thought we wouldn't make it yeah. you know I can't remember <laughs> that feeling and and now that did I have my own kids sometimes they don't get to play and so I've gotten to see that perspective as a parent when I didn't really experience that as much as a player except my first year of AU I was so intimidated I did not get to play very much and I actually, I wanted to quit okay. because it was so hard, and he was so demanding. And uh, But we went to play in a tournament in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana okay. that summer. So as I started to get more to, to AAU, it started to dominate our family mm-hmm. because I was playing basketball year-round. I was traveling with it. Um, but that first tournament, I'll go back to the Shreveport tournament, we got to walk out as the state of Tennessee with our state flag. They lit the torch and they played the music, and I was like, "Man, I don't even know anything could feel this important." And I was nervous. I didn't feel like I belonged there, and um, I was really worried about it. And I was playing. We were playing against. At that time, there was one team from every state. Okay. So it wasn't now where you have multiple. It changed even in my career, but it felt really important to be there, representing your state. And I was playing girls as tall as I was. I remember this girl from California. She was a model, and she was 6'3". Her name was Rinka Kristich, and she was from overseas, but she lived in California. And I thought, this we're not in Kansas anymore. It's a whole new world <laughs> at this point. It's a- <laughs> Absolutely. So, But that, at that tournament, I didn't get to play very much, but I saw a level of basketball that I wanted to compete in. And so I changed my mind about how much I was willing to invest. And so by the next year... I went to play with Coach Gore's team again, actually I didn't, I went to a Sparta team and he picked me up to go to Nationals, (laughs) thankfully, because I really wanted to go to Nationals that year. We went down to Coral Springs, Florida, and that was the year I got, that was my first year to get All-American. And so they named 15 girls out of the tournament All-American, and you talk about feeling like an accomplishment. I thought, okay, I think I can do this, like I realized I could excel. And that's the first time that that had happened. In fact, last night Kim Cram and I were talking about that tournament. She's the coach for Cumberland yeah, County, yeah. and we played ball together that year. We went down to Florida <laughs> together, and she was. We were reminiscing about that tournament. But anyway, that that changed the course of what I thought I could do, or how I felt about my career.
0: As a kid, was did you ever think, wow? Like, does it ever go through your head, kind of like how big of a deal people are making? Because you mentioned having a team from every state, you know, carrying the state flag out. You had to feel like a rock star at some point along
1: that line. How much does that do for a kid's confidence, have, being able to experience stuff like that? Oh, it does so much for a kid's confidence. That's what I think sports are so good outside of being good at your sport. What can you learn about yourself? What can you learn about your limits? How do you work with, te- you know, different teammates, different leadership styles? The lessons that sports can teach are hard to come by in any, any other arena in a small town. Mm-hmm. I think in larger towns, you might have more opportunities in the arts. Well, I mean, here we kind of have two things you can get involved in, sports and church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and usually churches are going to push you as hard as sports yeah. do. <laughs> so getting out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, that's that's where a lot of growth occurs. Yeah. So that that situation, you know, you get to see more places, you get to meet new people. And, uh, I'm not sure what, if I had not done that, what would have replaced that in my life.
0: One thing I'm interested, so in hearing all this, one thing I'm interested to get your thoughts on, this is kind of jumping to a completely different topic here. One thing, especially in 2020 when, you know, COVID canceled everything, one thing that constantly got brought up was, well, are sports really that important? At least that was something I saw brought up by a lot of people. And, of course, it's brought up by a lot of people who maybe aren't involved in sports. Right. Um, Do you think kids nowadays have an appreciation for sports, especially after a year like that where you didn't have them, you know, the state tournament gets canceled and spring sports don't get to play at all. Mm-hmm. Crowds are limited even when they do come back. Right. Do you think kids have the proper appreciation for sports and the lessons
1: that it teaches that you maybe don't get a chance to learn in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, I think that taught us all not to take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And healthy competition is where we grow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so without the opportunities for that, a lot of times we're left floundering trying to figure out how to challenge ourselves and you know, how to how to learn to work together. and. I don't know if kids can, I feel like kids are so, sports are so ingrained now, like we were talking about how they play from first grade on or, you know, some of them, and sometimes I think they burn out. Like it seems a little early. In fact, one of the girls, um, one of, I'm skipping all over the place here, but one of the girls that was in my freshman recruiting class at Duke University Mm -hmm. had only started playing basketball as a freshman in high school. Wow. She had never competed before and went on a full scholarship to (laughs) Duke. So, I think sometimes either you got it or you don't, that it does, you know, you, you can spend 12 years of training or three years of training, and if it's the right training and you've got the skill, you don't have to spend all your time playing it. And really, I think it, as you get older, it does become more and more meaningful. It depends on the coach. Mm-hmm. It's so much depends on the coach and what emphasis they're putting on, you know, what's important to that team. And I think when you're a kid... That emphasis is very different than the growth that you can have as you get older, and it's more focused on wins, and you know, it's more business-like, you know. So that changes the perspective as you get older. But I mean, it COVID definitely, I, mean, I felt like my kids were getting behind, but then at the same time, it's like, wow, our schedule's clear. Look what all we have time for. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice perspective to have, although I would not want to keep it and be out of the sports, you know. Exactly. But for a little while, it's kind of like, my family we get to see each other
0: again. You know? <laughs> so you mentioned what well, you mentioned coaches, so you've talked about Bobby Gore obviously. Mm-hmm. Who 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 were some other coaches that had impacts on you and, and and what lessons do you think they taught you the most as far as not just being an athlete but also being a
1: you know a good yeah, person? person. Uh so the year that I was playing for Bobby Gore I was also playing for Danny Parkerson okay. who was up at York Institute at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he was maybe assistant coach, and I don't know, he's from the Jamestown area. But he was our assistant coach and just really good influence. He was a total – he had so much confidence in us. And uh, t- Coach Gore was the heavy. You know, he was always coming down on us. And, yeah, we were a little bit scared of him and Coach, coach Parker not Parkerson, that's the West coach, Danny Parker, he was uh, he was always more personable in the way of where we felt like we could approach him. So that, they made a huge impact my first two years. Then our program our, out of Livingston merged with a program in East Tennessee called the East Tennessee Stars. And Glenn Berkey was my coach then, and he's now, I think, is he still a Middle Tennessee Christian? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know. I know. I'm pretty sure he has a lot to do with like Tennessee flight and stuff like that. Yes, sure. flight I know is, that he does a lot with Tennessee flight. Right, but. and he was assistant coach at MTSU there for a little bit. I think so, yeah. But he took me through my high school years, and in fact, uh, Leslie Smith Riddle yeah. was his <laughs> assistant one year, and I got to go uh, play for her as an assistant coach when we went to New Mexico one summer on a mm-hmm. basketball trip. But Coach Berkey took me through my high school years, and I learned it. A ton from him. He was a great coach and just a good motivator. They all, I mean, he, he and Coach Gore had different styles, but they were both so passionate. And the amount of yelling those two could do, <laughs> I don't even know how they ever had a voice. I was saying my voice is a little hoarse from coaching Junior Pro over the weekend. We had a close game, and sometimes I get to yelling and lose my voice during basketball season. But these guys, it was so. Serious, you know, and it was you're coming out of the game, and they're right in your face, and it's really intense, and to learn how to deal with that pressure of somebody asking you to perform at a high level, and, and, you know, and to learn how, what it feels like to make a mistake, um, and to be able to come back from that, the resilience that you have to learn from playing the game, and then I can remember times when maybe I'd get hurt or roll my ankle or something that wasn't going to take me out of the game, but it took me out for a few minutes, and those coaches looking down the bench and saying, you know, are you ready? Tell me when you can go. And when you're an adult, like nobody seems to care. Like you know, you don't. You realize nobody else can do my job. Sometimes when you're on the court, you're. It feels really important. And sometimes I think as you get older, it's like oh, everybody's replaceable. But really, you know, they're not. It's yeah. just that message is clearer when you're playing sports, in my opinion. One thing that I've always said in covering
0: this area is the number one thing that sticks out is the the level of coaching. Because everyone talks about how basketball is big in the Upper Cumberland Mm -hmm. and I feel like that starts with the coaches. I know that when you look at the district that DeKalb is in right now, you know Danny Fish first of all is obviously a great coach himself. You know Leslie Riddle now Mm -hmm. in Livingston, Michael Green at York, he's not in the district anymore but he's been fantastic. Everyone knows about Dana McWilliams, Larry White and Michael Dodgen. Is there another area in the the state that can even compare to the level of coaching that that the
1: Upper Cumberland has, in your opinion? Uh, You know, I wish I knew more about what's in the rest of the state. But judging from the success that we've had in the Upper Cumberland, and when I was playing it was District AAA, Mm -hmm. uh, it's generally unmatched as far as the consistency of going to the state tournament and having the successful players and the kids who signed college scholarships. So I don't really know what's going on in West Tennessee. It seems like another planet. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is definitely But not. I mean, I re- really As someone who's from there, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I knew coaches from East Tennessee, and I think East Tennessee basketball has always been really strong, but it does feel like the dynamics are a little bit different in West Tennessee, but that's, that's not a very educated perspective that I have on that. <laughs> but I want to talk for a second about my high school coach. I've been telling you my AAU coaches but uh, Howard Corder was my high school coach and he coached for nine years at DeKalb and he started when my sister was a freshman and he left the year after I graduated and he had a lot of wins. I can't remember what his record was but he was a successful coach. He had coached college and then he kind of retired and then came back and taught health and coached high school girls basketball and he was a character um, High school was was kind of my off-season, if you want to call it that. It was my fun (laughs) season. I got you. So it was a place where I I was able to maybe excel a little bit more. You know, when you play these AAU teams, everybody's good. And uh, it's harder to, to dominate certain games because everybody's good, and you're playing against these bigger girls and stronger players. But when I was playing high school basketball, I just had so much fun. And he ran us enough... He wasn't a crazy. Yeah, you know, he didn't just condition and condition. Some days he would. We're like, where did that come from? Nobody's ready for that. <laughs> but he was older at the time I graduated. He was sixty-two, mm-hmm. and he really focused on trying to create a good team dynamic and trying to coach people. He wasn't as concerned about like the wins came. In I think the thing I wrote his new record down. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> but he had one. He had one of the best records of any coaches that stayed that long and I think in some ways he was overlooked he was not he was not uh, in your face He it was more unassuming but my sister and I have great memories of him and the time we played under him and as I've gotten on the other side of basketball and become a coach I've realized so statistically I had a lot of basketball success and uh, in my career I scored about 2,400 points in 5-on-5, in five five, I believe that's the highest anybody in DeKalb has had. But when I look at, like, I think Katie Farrell's totally capable of having 2,500 points. But she's had to do it all. If you asked me to bring the ball down the floor, I would have scored about 500 points because I would have been too tired. But, <laughs> but, I mean, Coach Porter, he would wait on me to get down the floor. He would set up plays where I could score. He knew if they got me the ball, usually I could score. My free throw percentage was good if I drew a foul. So he tailored a game around my, my strengths, and we won a lot of games with that. But if he had chosen to play a different style of basketball that I wasn't suited to, I would not have been the statistically good player that I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? He yeah. just he really worked with what I could do. So when
0: you got to the high school level, a lot of a lot of people have told me this that it almost when you go from middle school to high school, it almost feels like a completely different game. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, basketball doesn't almost doesn't feel like basketball, the basketball that you know at least. Mm-hmm. Was there a big adjustment for you at the at the high school level, or did it still kind
1: of just feel the same? It wasn't for me because I was playing the travel ball. Okay. So you know, I'm going and playing against these six three California girls. Mm-hmm. So it was different because I had these challenges. With the AAU stuff, and so when I went to high school, at first I thought it was going to be a big drop off, but we played team camp that summer at MTSU and I thought, oh, I can play with these girls. Like I gained that confidence pretty quickly. Um, so then being able to to jump right in and start as a freshman also helped my stats career because you know if you have four years to put them together, it's a lot better than if you come on into it your sophomore year. And I, I didn't get injured. So when kids get injured, I think that's also you know a real setback. We're dealing with that with my daughter, and, and, and I'm hoping she'll have a good last two years. But at the time, you know, I think I was caught up in maybe the pressure of keeping up my performances, and sometimes I missed the lessons I was learning along the way. But looking back, it's just it's plain as day how much it impacted who I am. So who who were some of your favorite teammates that you played with then? Because
0: I'm sure every sports team, every some everyone's got stories. Right. So what? Are, so who were some of your favorite teammates to play with? Well,
1: in high school ball, um, probably the most memorable teammate I had was my point guard, because every big post needs a good point guard, <laughs> and uh, it was Kim. She was back then. She was Kim McCoy, mm-hmm. and uh, she's Kim Frazier now. Yep. And her daughter was on the team. That was Kenzie Francis. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kenzie Francis mom, and uh, she was an excellent point guard. Mm-hmm. And she could she could feed me the ball. She could throw the lob perfectly. Like she knew how to make make me look good. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. She was also good on the drive. She was a good defender. So I enjoyed playing with her a lot. Uh, Heather Lance was a girl I played with that that we had a good time in high school and and then. Some of the younger girls that came up, I played with Rachel Evans, who's Zarya yeah. Lyons mom.
0: Yeah.
1: And Rachel was always a riot. She's out there <laughs> in her size eleven shoes and she just was kinda she was intense, you know, and you can see where Z gets it. But I enjoy playing. I see it, with it her. At games now too. I can see that. So yeah, you got her going and then Zaria going. And it's, it's great. I, I love it. Yeah. So I played with her and uh, then I had some kids that came in that were younger than me that came in and could shoot the three. Because when the three is a fairly new thing, you guys are young. I don't know if you realize that it. it's really.
0: <laughs> it's something looking back on. I see, obviously, you know, you look at basketball in the 90s compared to basketball in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest difference is the pace of play and the three point shooting yes. for sure.
1: The three point game has changed basketball. It's like. The mid-range feels like it's dead. I love to see uh, uh, Van Franken pull up, you know, find that sweet spot and pull up for the mid-range because it's there. It's just nobody's looking for it. It's either, like, inside play or it's a three-pointer. It's gone from being a normal
0: shot to now being what a lot of people call the worst shot in basketball for Mm -hmm. some reason. I know. It's not. I
1: scored a lot of mid-range points. So we've had a lot of kids tell us that, like, they've had to learn
0: to master it because of how the old district used to be, like, Nick Smith at York, he's so much smaller. And he told us he that he couldn't find a shot, but the mid-range shot was That's like nobody good. expected. So he, like, learned to perfect it. And right. now it's just a normal shot. It's automatic for him now. Yeah. He doesn't miss it seemingly. Yeah. And it's just wild to see kids. It's it's wild to see, you know, how, again, in the 90s, you know, 10 threes a game, ten attempted threes a game was crazy. Mm-hmm. And now if you're not taking 30, right. it almost feels Ooh. like the game has passed you by. Yeah. Is that? Do you think that really is the biggest difference
1: in the game nowadays? It's in just my opinion, point. it is. I do feel like there's not a lot of true posts anymore, and I miss that, being a true post. <laughs> back to the basket, basketball and just muscle basketball. Katie Farrell plays it sometimes, but as I said, she's such a diverse player and has to play so many different roles. I'd love to see what she could do if you could just post her up on people because, man, she can outwork about anybody I've seen. There's not a lot of people that can handle her in the post. No, absolutely not but uh, but I think that is the thing the post game's everybody plays emotion everybody's always moving it's not it's not as much muscle basketball as it used to be and yeah you you watch the defense the defense is out on the three point shooters or it's sagged into the middle there's all this mid-range play. Hey, somebody needs to pull up mid-range I always I've noticed that with zone defenses
0: especially you know everyone thinks the key to beating a zone is to just you know it, you it, like there's holes every time you watch them. There's holes in the mid range. Right. You can find an open jump shot there, right. but nobody's ever looking, not there. looking for it. Exactly. It's wild mm-hmm. how much that's changed because again, that used to not be the case. Right. Right. So, what were some of your favorite memories uh, from just playing at Decab? Period. I know. Uh, forgive me if I'm ignorant. I don't know the big rivalries that Decab had at the time.
1: Or I know roughly what they are now. <laughs> right. But uh, what were some of your favorite oh, memories? So, well, I um. Our, one of our biggest rivals was Cannon County. Okay. I agree to say That's yes. where she's from. Really? That's So cool. I played against Julie Powell and Beth okay. Stewart and some big names over at, at Cannon. First grade teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was uh, it was one of the games we played. We, we didn't beat them very often, mm-hmm. but it happened. When it did, it was a really big deal. <laughs> and Livingston was a big opponent, but they mostly just... Beat us by 20 30 points. So that
0: was that was in that time when Livingston was a really really big dominant, yes, yes,
1: absolutely. But we played Cannon County one night out here at the high school, and it was a really close game. I can't remember, I think it was probably my junior year, and so uh, it was we were down by two three minutes or so left, and uh, I would. Sometimes I decide to dribble the ball down the floor, and everybody would yell, no, you know, like <laughs> they, they would make them nervous, but I was like, I can totally do this. So I'm going down the floor, and Steve Hayes, who at that time was our assistant principal, he's he sees me going down the floor, and I hear him yell, and I'm trying to block him out. And I get down to the elbow on the opposite end, and I'm about to pull up, because they're not, they're not coming out to guard me. I was maybe a little behind the elbow, and I hear him yell, don't shoot, and I pull up, and It goes in and we end up, I don't know if that tied us or if it won it. But I remember thinking, I don't know why he doesn't want me to shoot. I'm going to make this shot. Like I totally had the confidence. That we, we ended up winning the game. But I don't know if that won it or if that put us yeah. in the position to win it. But that was a great memory because it worked out for me even though somebody didn't think I could do that. <laughs> so what was – obviously you mentioned Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the recruiting process
0: like? And how much – that's another thing I feel like we could you know talk about for hours. Just How different was the recruiting
1: process at that time versus what it is today? Uh, it was quite a bit different. We spent a lot of time on the phone because you know they weren't you weren't emailing and texting and social media, <laughs> and so they'd call and and uh, they'd learn the names of my friends. They'd ask me about them when they call back. So you could tell somebody was taking notes, and we did. We spent a lot of time on the phone, and then when it t- came time to take uh, official, not official visits, but home visits, most people would take in their top three or four or five. Well, I always had a really hard time telling people no, so I took 13 home visits. <laughs> Do you remember all 13 of them? I don't, I don't remember all of them because <laughs> some of them I wasn't that serious about, but the coaches were so nice. So you I didn't want to. You felt like telling them no was almost just being mean yeah. and wasting their time. I there. know, but I should have been like, oh, don't waste your time. I'm not going there because <laughs> I knew I wasn't going there, but it was hard to say no yeah. to that home visit. The most memorable ones I had, we had Tara Vanderveer, Vanderveer from Stanford. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then her sister, Heidi interviewer from from South Carolina, came in. Pat Summit came to the house and Holly Warlick. And, What's that? Uh, I
0: have to ask, what was that like having Pat Summit in your
1: house recruiting you? It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I <laughs> wish, <laughs> wish I had taken pictures. I have no pictures of that event. I'm about to say, that's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, she just came in and was, but I had met her before. In fact, I played AAU with her niece, Tracy Head. Um, so she had been at some of our games, so we weren't entirely starstruck by her. And again, when you're a kid, you don't always realize, like, whoa, this is a really big deal. I, I can yeah. realize that more looking back. Yeah. But it was just, she was like meeting with an old friend. And at that time, she said, I'm recruiting two people uh, for each position that I need to fill. And at that time, it was a gardener post. And she said, I only recruit a couple. I don't go very deep because I know, you know, that one of those is going to say yes. And so I ended up... I remember who took the position, but I ended up not getting the official offer because her first choice took it, but it would have worked out. I would have felt bad because I ended up having health problems and could not finish my college career, mm-hmm. but the Duke coaches came too. They, we had a little bait tackle shop down the road, Sonny's Bait Shop. They stopped <laughs> and got them a cold drink, and, you know, everybody came up was a little bit of cultural shock for some of them yeah. because they were from the city, so when my mom would make them fried okra or she'd <laughs> Cook something for the coaches. But it was a really fun time going through all that, uh, the recruiting process. And a lot of my friends, you know, I'd like to compare notes with them because we sort of went our separate ways after college. But I played with Jessica Beatty from Rossville. I think she ended up playing for MTSU. Uh, Amy Moore, who lives in Spencer, she went and played at UAB. Um, well, Kim Cram, the, the coach, played for Southern Cal. There were Most of the kids we played with signed Division One. And we saw them off and on, but I, now at this point, I'd like to get back together. and say, Let's talk <laughs> about kind of a reunion. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about what that looked like and how that affected all of us. <laughs> you know, so why do what? What? What led you there ultimately? Well, um, I was going. I was playing at a tournament, the <laughs> Boo Williams tournament, over in Virginia. And coming back through, my dad said, "Let's stop and look at the Duke campus," because mm-hmm. he knew I'd been getting letters. I started once I started playing on a national level with the. AAU programs, I started getting letters, probably just because of my height, honestly, <laughs> but I started getting letters in seventh grade, and my mom would fill these banker boxes full of recruiting letters, <laughs> and she'd so try to organize them in some way. So at Duke, uh, I knew I had some letters from Duke, but at the time, well, there was a coach recruiting me heavy from Purdue. It was Gail Gaston, course, who was an assistant coach at Purdue at that time. Well, Coach D ended up going to Duke and then she was recruiting me for Duke. But I didn't have a lot of interest in him. I didn't know much about him. And so we drove through the campus on a Sunday morning. Have you ever been to Duke's campus? I
0: I've seen pictures and I know it's a lovely campus.
1: Oh my. I know it's a lovely campus. It's breathtaking. It looks like college on a movie. You know, it's so that Gothic architecture, the, the yeah, coming down Chapel Drive. It almost I mean, doesn't seem real. Yeah, it was a spring morning, and I said, What? It, whoa, my gosh. And we called mom, and we we're like, Find those letters from Duke, let's see what they want, you know, if they're interested. And so at that point, it really shifted. I just wanted to go there as a school. It was less about basketball because they weren't really known for women's basketball at that point. Coach D turned that program around a little bit. In fact, when we went in by freshman year, um, we were the ninth best recruiting class in the country as far as rank that year. And, unfortunately, my my side of that didn't pan out. But they had a lot of success. You know, Duke went to the Final Four in the, in the women's program. And now I think they're still... I haven't been over there in a long time. But I kind of keep up with them. I know they're on the map now. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, studying graphic design. What led to the interest in that? Well, I had always been interested in art. From a young age, I, I've always loved anything to do with arts, music, dance. I love all that. But basketball took such a big you know, front seat in my life that I didn't have a lot of time for other ventures. <laughs> so when I got to college... Um, In fact, when I went to Duke, I thought I wanted to be pre-med, until I decided I didn't want to take any science classes, so I (laughs) shifted that quickly. And then I transferred to Belmont my sophomore year. Because Coach Cross, Tony Cross, was there at the time, and he said, I know you're probably going to a bigger school. At that time, Belmont was still in AI. I don't think they switched to NCAA until the next year. Because while I was there, they switched to Bruins from the Rebel at, the Rebels. Okay. <laughs> but I went, uh, so I called him up that spring and said, things aren't going well at Duke. I, I'm having some breathing problems at the time. We thought it was asthma. Then uh, he said, well, c- you know, come on back. I'll, I'll give you a scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Belmont and I started seeking treatment at Vanderbilt to try to figure out what was going on with my breathing. And because Duke had not been able to diagnose my problem, we thought it was exercise induced asthma. But I ended up going to the Vanderbilt Voice Center, saw Dr. Robert Ossoff, and he knew right away what it was. It was a vocal cord problem that at the time was very rare, but it's known as uh, PVFM, Paradoxical Vocal Fold Movement, where when you breathe in, your vocal cords shut instead of open, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like asthma, and it's really scary. And at the time, they didn't know enough about it and advised me to stop playing altogether, which I ignored that advice for a couple months, but I couldn't keep going, and so Christmas of, Sophomore year I stopped playing for Belmont but due to medical reasons. I was able to stay on with the team and, and you know, play various roles there mm-hmm. But uh, but I finished my career at Belmont. So once basketball was over My schedule opened up and this new design professor had just moved in from Texas Tech University to start the graphic design program he was in the uh, school newspaper, and my parents were like, what do you think about that? I said, oh, that sounds great. I have no idea, but it sounded like fun, so I got into that, and I was the first person to graduate Belmont's graphic design program. Okay. Yeah, and so then I got into design and printing, had a printing business here in Smithville for nine years, and I still do graphic design work, and uh, I taught art here at the schools for a couple years until my parents had recently gotten sick and passed away, but I stopped teaching at that point. I taught English here for a while. I've coached off and on, so... I don't know what the next move is going to be, but uh, you know I love basketball and I love art, so I don't know if there's a way to merge those two. <laughs> so you mentioned
0: that you never you never thought you'd get into coaching, but obviously you're doing a little bit of that right now, so how did that get
1: started? Well, when I um, coached Joe Pat Cope, was coaching here back in 2009, 2010, he came and found me. I was... In the middle of having all my babies, and I had my second one. He was little, and he's like, "Hey, I want you to come coach with me." And I was like, "I have no time to come coach with you." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He taught me into so I coached with him a couple of years, and that's when I started teaching at the high school. And we had some success. Cynthia Woodward, who was one of a really good player for DeKalb County, she was playing during that time. And in fact, we went to that sub state, or we went to the game before sub. So it was 2010, okay. and it's the farthest we had made it since I had played. So that was, it was a big break, like 17 years before we'd made it that far. And we could have done it. But anyway, that, that kind of gave me a taste of coaching, and I loved being part of that program. But then I was just too busy with my children and my job. I had to get out of it for a little bit. And then I started coaching junior pro a few years later. And I coached junior pro for the last six or seven years. And then the last two years, I've helped with the DeKalb West basketball. Um as an assistant coach for the girls and boys and have really enjoyed that. I've gotten to coach with a couple point guards, which have helped me figure out some holes in my game. You know, when you're <laughs> a post, you don't always think about what they had to do out front. So I've been coached with Kelly Parkerson, Kelly Piper, and she was a really she was a great point guard here. She played for Cumberland University. And then Karen France, uh, I'm coached I've been coaching with her down at the West School, and I just I'm really enjoying it more than I ever thought I would. So I don't know if my time will allow or my schedule will allow or what, what the fates hold. But uh, I enjoy coaching. And uh, and it's I've learned to love the game from a different side. And it doesn't really matter if my kids are in there or not. In fact, I'm a lot calmer when my kids are not in the game. I feel like I can... You know, just coach more objectively there. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to end all of
0: these kind of just the same way. Um, what What is some advice that you would give to the young, to younger athletes today? Obviously you coach, so you get, you get a chance to put your two cents out there a little bit. Right. That. Um, but what's some advice you would give all younger athletes today that would like to get to that point that you got to where you've, you've got a successful high school career, you're playing ball at the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, what's some advice you'd give them? And then what's some advice you'd give your younger self as well?
1: Oh wow, that's a really deep question. <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as the younger athletes, I would just say what you get out of something is totally what you put into. It. So, if you want to be really good, you got to put those hours in. You got to practice the right way, and you got to, you know, you just got to give yourself to whatever your goals are because it's not going to happen without some extreme focus. I should say that. And I, you know, I had that as a younger athlete, and my parents invested in me, gave me the opportunities that I needed, but, you know, it was for a long time after I lost basketball, it was really painful because it didn't end on my terms, and so I always think, was there a way? Would there have been a workaround? Was there something I could have done to have seen it through more than I did? And so I think that's another lesson I would tell my younger self is exhaust all the possibilities, Look for all the places that you can draw strength. Look for all the places you can find a workaround. Don't accept defeat easily. And I don't think I did, but I was so devastated that I had this, I mean, it, it, it's hard. It, that would be a whole other podcast. But <laughs> but you know, looking back, sometimes you can see things You know that you, when the door was closed, you might have gone through a window or something. So just looking for every opportunity, looking to learn, From every person you come across, the good, the bad, the ugly, everybody's got something to teach you. And so just taking advantage of all those lessons.
0: Once again, that was DeKalb County legendary basketball player, Mary Ann Puckett. I'm Rusty Ellis, and this has been the Legend Rewind Podcast.